I, I have something in my heart, but it's really about you. It is just more fun to lift you up than to talk about what we've been doing. And over the years, um, there's something that has a subject matter that is just really have you ever had that one thing that just doesn't go away and you just chew on it and you chew on it and you chew on it and then you start pulling things out of that but you don't know how to quite articulate that in a way that anybody else would appreciate what you just saw? So I've just kept it inside and, and a lot of our program and, and our core pillars of our program for the mentorship side is built on this whole character. And before I get into the character, I just want you to know that we talk about our new mind, yes? And if we would look at scripture, there is scriptures that we have kind of put aside because we try to interpret that within our new mind, but from our old mindset, so we've lost what God was really saying in those things. And we've looked at them in a sense of condemnation at one time, but now if we would have a fresh look from a new perspective, we would find life and we would find the grace of God and we would see his loving kindness and we would see such power that it would bring life into us. You know, Jesus says that the Old Testament was written about him. That when you read Moses, you're reading about me. And so when we looked through what, what went on, I, I had pondered, well, how did Jesus grow? You know, Jesus had to grow. He grew in faith and or grace and favor with God and men. Not that he didn't have grace, but he grew in those things. And each area that he stepped into his life, he had to grow in that thing. You know, he had to do that just like you did. He didn't just wake up one morning at the age of three and say, Mother, could you pass a cup, please? I would like some tea. I mean, he didn't have an articulation. He had to learn all of this stuff. He had to grow in it just like you did. But he knew, he began knowing what he was, and what he was began emerging into each sphere and each level of his life. So I, I began pondering, what did you look at when you looked at characters of the Old Testament? Because they're incomplete. They're just types and shadows. In fact, the Hebrew says, these people of old who aren't even worthy of the world that they walked in are incomplete without you. So what did you see when you looked at them? What did you find? What did you discover? When you looked at a character, how did you see the Spirit of God in that so you would know what the Father was doing so you could go act it out? You see, Jesus learned through Scripture who he was. He learned through the Holy Spirit who he was. He learned by other people that had the Spirit of God who he was and that whole thing, and he began articulating it until he discovered his father in such a tangible way that by the age of 12, it was, Mother, I have to be about my father's business. There, there came to that place, so what did he learn and what did he see? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this off, so I'm pretty good at juggling plates, so I'll probably get about three plates spinning, but I promise at the end we'll have a nice show. Okay, so we'll be able to see them all working. I'm going to start with a verse, Romans chapter 1, 5 through 6. It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, 
among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Now, when I used to hear the word apostleship, mission, calling, I, I had a wrong concept of what that was. There was a point where I was eager in Bible school, what am I called to, what am I called to, where's my platform, how am I gonna do this, how am I gonna be successful at it? There was that, that mindset. When I was younger, it was, how do I get away from it, how do I get away from it, I don't want it, type idea. They're both wrong. When it comes to calling, just so you know, you have one calling. Everyone has it. It's to know the Father. And when I talk about the Father, because our ministry is introducing the Father to a fatherless world, and it becomes critical because you never know who you really are until you know your Father. But when I'm talking about the Father, I'm not isolating Jesus or the Holy Spirit because I can't know the Father without knowing the person, the human, the man, the, the Christ child, Jesus, who is who I am and what I identify with. He takes me to the Father, but I can't understand them without the Holy Spirit, his resonance and his personality and his persona that's resonant on the inside of me, keeping me in there, and then somehow God entangles me into the middle of that whole thing. So when I'm talking about Father, we're not excluding something. We're actually including the value of all the persons of the Trinity and the criticalness of that. That's for someone. That was for free. It's not one of the plate spinning things. But when it came to mission, so when I saw apostleship, I, I kept thinking those biblical terms from Bible school. Okay, there's the missionary, the pastor, the, or the apostle, the, the teacher, the, the pastor, the evangelist. And, you know, you go through the list and which one's more important and this one touches all of this. And apostleship means sent ones. It means from the place you are, you're sent to another place. It, it doesn't necessarily mean geographically. It could be from the comfortable world that you're so familiar with that you don't even need GPS or Google to get you from point A to point B to a place where you're dependent on a new map. That's being sent. Where, where the confidence that you have in this area, the, the security, who you are, that you're growing in Christ, you have this mind, you're growing in those things and it starts overflowing and then you step into another arena where that's still all true but the, the environment's different and there's a vulnerability there and so now you're, you're kind of being tested within yourself of who you are to it but it's critical because people are calling out for you for their answer and we're gonna get more to that. But apostleship, does not happen until you know who you are. God does not send you because he's needing more workers in the kingdom. So if I can get more people to believe, then I can send out more workers. Then I can get more people to believe so I can send out more workers. He's looking for people that are called to him, that he fills you so full that out of your identity and the things that you're, you love and the things that you're interested in, it overflows into people's lives so that way their life is touched, impacted, and they get to meet the Father. That's apostleship. But your brain won't... Your, okay, how do I... Connie, help me here. Your, your old mind is not gonna appreciate the change, but your new mind is gonna love it. So let me give you an illustration. 
we are going to get to the character that I was talking about, but we have to set the backdrop. So we were pastoring in South Carolina, and there was this young man that had started coming to our church, and I just really, I really liked this guy, and he, he was, it wasn't familiar. I mean, he wasn't into the church. He didn't have all the church culture rules that, you know, that we all have. He was, he was, he was South Carolina country boy. And in his words, redneck. I mean, he, he was country. And he was proud of what he was. And I love this guy. He was just so genuine and loved God. And, and I just enjoyed being around him. And he came to me one day. He says, I want to take you hunting. You got to go hunting with me. Now, let me just say, there's, I've been in places where they have their hunting. And they get their two weeks off and they go hunting. I have never lived in a place where they three families buy land, scout out the land, name the deer, know when their birthdays are, and are prepared. They live for hunting. They have special gear. They have special clothing. They even have the right urine to go on your shoes to make sure you smell the environment of what it is. It is scouted out. They know every part of this land. They know where the right uh, deer stands are. They got it all set up. This is great. I and. I'm willing to go. I'm just not the hunter type, per se. I, I'm, I'm, I, I like shooting. I like shooting things. But I, I don't, I don't want to go sit in the stand. Now, if I could roam around and walk through the hills and do all that when, and be more like a renegade scout going through, that, that would be fun. But, but the idea of just sitting for four hours, five hours at... God doesn't even wake up in the morning at the time these guys get up to go hunting. It's early. So, but I love this guy. And he wanted to invite me into his world. So I said, I'm going. So I get what little stuff I knew, even what to wear. And we get out there. And he goes, I don't want you to worry about nothing. I did make a deal with him, though. I don't mind shooting it. I don't mind dragging it. I am not gutting it. I'm just telling you. There is just a line. I'm not interested. So he said, I'll take care of all the gutting. You just go enjoy. So I get in the car. We, he gets all the gear, and he has all the ready. He brought, he brought all the right camouflage. He got all my stuff. See, I was stepping into another world, and everything that I'm needing is being provided. But it wasn't what I would have picked out. But it was necessary for the environment that I was going into. So I was submitting to a new idea. Why? Because I love my friend. I wanted to know his world. He wanted me to meet the families that he's friends with. He wanted to connect and have an experience that I, that I would share that meant something to him. So we, we get all down there and we're getting ready to uh, settle in for the night, and they're doing the final check on the gear, and um, he said, oh, I forgot something. I said, what's that? And he goes, I forgot, I forgot your bullets for the gun. <laughs> it's all right. I'm confident in myself. I brought my books to read while I'm in the stands. If I get something, I don't get something, but I probably don't need to lug the gun around at the same time, so maybe it just saves a little bit of the headache. He said, but don't worry, I'll, I'll get some from my, my friend. Now, the reception I received from the other families of me coming into their territory 
and to hunt was not as warm and friendly. And I had every opportunity for the insecurities as they looked me up and down and knowed my, so you're a pastor, huh? Yep, not a hunter. Yep. And I'm feeling this because I'm now an inconvenience to their world. The other problem is they've been hunting for a month, so they had the, you know, they have all the different tags and the different season in South Carolina. I'm, who knows if they're even using them where we're at. Anyway, they, they had everything all set up, but they had been hunting for a month, and no one had shot a deer. They hadn't seen any on the property during the hunting season. See, deer are pretty smart. They know when hunting season is. They go to the next property over. So there's no deer on the property, and they're kind of really irritated, and now you're bringing a guest down. And you're kind of going to damper, and he's going to make all this noise and disrupt the deer that aren't there anyway, and it's not going to be, be good. So my friend Brian said, hey, we need some bullets. So the guy looked, and he went over to his cartridge case with hundreds, and he pulled three out and gave them to me. I felt like Barney Fife in Mayberry. Three bullets. But you know what? I wasn't, there would be a time I'd be a little irritated and these kind of things and trying to prove I'm something or, you know, you're in those awkward moments where you're the one that's so outclassed and you're trying to be normal. But I was there for my friend. So humility comes in, a godly humility, because you know what? I want to learn. So I just kind of laughed it off, stuck the three bullets in my pocket and went to sleep and we got up. I think God woke up about two and a half hours later and we're out in the deer stand. So we're out in the deer stand and they, they put me in a spot, you know the prime spot? No, in the spot they have never shot a deer before. They stick me in the tree and I have my books in my pocket and I'm ready to start reading. So I get up there, I settle in, I load one of the bullets into the chamber just in case, or to at least feel like I'm doing something. And I start reading. I felt the prompting, put the book down. And I started looking out, and I was thinking about the Father. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is, we don't play enough with God. We, if we wait to let the identity and the things that are critical to our life and critical to other people's life, are, we wait until it's critical motion. You know, God is so merciful and loving, and even if you didn't get it, he'll bring people around to help you. But the place he wants the relationship built is in the time of play. Maybe raise kids? How did the work, work project go when they were one and a half? Did you start demanding them to start walking so they could start carrying the milk from the car? No, you played. And you made goofy faces, and you were ridiculous. And if you look, listen to videos of what you did, you can't even believe that you're a man talking like that. <laughs> you play. And as they grow older, things start adjusting. Why? Because that's where the relationship, because kids don't fully understand what the parents are actually saying. And even when they're 16 and 13, they still don't seem to understand what the parents are actually saying. It's just much better now. Now they can tune it out on their own. That was, it was out of their control. 
See, we don't, when we start knowing the Father and this relationship builds, we don't understand all the words that he's saying, but we know he's loving us and he's saying stuff to us. So he keeps playing and he keeps bringing things around to change our perspective. You see, when you're born again, you're whole. You're not broken trying to be fixed. You're whole, but sometimes we need a new perspective to know how to release those things. And so that's what's going on in my hunting experience. And so sitting in the tree and God spoke to me, he says, what do you want? Well, it'd be kind of nice to shoot a deer and, you know, that'd be kind of fun, your first hunting trip out. The next thought that came is, where do you want it? Well, I hadn't thought about that. So I'm like, well, if I aim here and it came across this way, that would be a nice little spot. It's about 30 yards out, 40 yards out, right there. Of course, I'm ignoring, then I'm just like, okay, go back to reading. Then I hear the voice call for it. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding. I just hope the guys aren't sitting. But I did. So I call. But I'm like, what, what, like, deer come? <laughs> Dearest? So I called the deer to come. And nothing happened. And then I felt just be ready. So 15 minutes later, I hear this rustle come through. I, I'm not making this story up. This old doe comes and stands right in the spot. And you know when they say these nerves come the first time hunting? None of it came. I don't think I even believed what was happening. So I picked up my gun, aimed, and shot. Then the nerves came because the thing fell down. So my eagerness got in. Now I'm, but you know what? Here I'm walking in the peace of being in an environment that I am not familiar with, clothed in things I'm not used to because I love a friend. And now I find myself with things that God is caring about me and things are happening, but now I'm jumping out of the tree as if it's on my own. I'm going to go get that thing. Well, I realized something. Don't chase a wounded deer because you're going to be running a long time. <laughs> Finally found it about 20 minutes later. And so they heard the gunshot. I had been out in the woods now for a total of 37 minutes. They drag it out. Of course, the hunt's over because everybody has the noise. Now the deer are gone. Everybody has to come back. And the loving looks I received <laughs> was really remarkable. Fast forward, they go, do you want to go out again tonight? I'm like, Sure. So they put me in another place. I, I promise you there was no deer ever in this location. They were not, so we go back out that evening, and I got, this time I brought books. I mean, it's not happening twice. I mean, I, but you see, here's the deal. I'm, I'm not going to get my identity from the hunt, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love sports. I don't go play just to kick a ball around. I, I want to win at something. But my objective in this journey had nothing to do with me. Yet the Father had everything to do 
with me. There's a neat exchange in all of this. So I remember sitting in this house, and this time I am reading. The gun's over here, I'm reading. I did load a bullet. Gun's over here, I'm reading. God said, do you want another one? I'm like, well, yeah, but I think this time I'd like a buck. That would be kind of more fun. It's a conversation going on. And 23 minutes in, a buck comes. Now, let me just qualify what the buck is. It has to have three points. I didn't clarify the size of the buck, but it still was a buck. Shoot it, falls down, doesn't run. We drag it out. I wrecked their whole hunt for the whole weekend. So we get back, and they are not happy. But my friend is ecstatic for me. I stepped into his world. And I got to touch the thing that he enjoyed so much, which is why he would go hunt and spend hours. Now to the others, see, there's always, when you're stepping into the place that God has brought you to, there's always someone so behind you cheering on. But please don't be bothered and offended at those that are irritated at your presence. Because they're there. But they're really not mad at you. They're mad at the way about you. And our Father doesn't walk in our ways. He has a different way of walking. And it grinds on the way of the world. You know, Pastor Greg spoke a message, I don't know, a couple months ago. And he was talking about getting over the, when you came into the grace message, of getting over the, kind of the, I don't know if you use the word anger, but kind of the anger at those who taught you wrong. And it's almost like anybody who doesn't teach this, you weren't saying, now I'm adding my, anybody who doesn't teach this, I don't want to hear from you. Like you almost put this barrier up. I have finally the truth, and now I'm kind of pushing back on those that have come against. And see, the problem is the Father dealt with us the same way. And when you can get beyond that point, realize they're just learning too. They're just trying to understand too. You start walking in one of the most powerful gifts of the Spirit, and that is meekness. It is a powerful thing. And in this journey, I am learning meekness. At no point am I arrogant. I'm not cocky. I'm not trying to say, hey, look at me, because I know for a fact, because I went out again with them a couple weekends later, and it didn't happen like this. But this time I was going to go get my hunt. But see, now I wasn't appreciating the journey of the hunt. I just wanted a prize without the cost. So we were beginning to leave, and we're getting ready to pull out and get all our stuff. And I remembered something is that I had to go back and give the bullet back to the guy I borrowed it from. You see, everything I thought was an inadequacy that was being given to me was actually an oversupply of what I actually needed. I only need two bullets for two deer. See, everything you need, you have plenty of, but you keep trying to measure as if you're going to miss. 
So Samson, one plate spinning, so just keep it there for a moment. The son of righteousness will rise. Samson means sun man. One of the most misunderstood characters that I've ever looked at in the Bible. I've spent 10 years meditating on this person's life and wanting to see, Jesus, what did you see when you saw this man? What did you see? What did you pull from him? How did the Spirit of God work with him? So we're going to begin Judges 13, verse 7. And he said to me, Behold, this is uh, Samson's mother. She's praying. And an angel comes and appears before her and said to her, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine nor similar drink nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. He will be separated unto me until the day of his death. See, when we're born again, we are separated from this into this. You're separated. You're not intermixed with the world and God's just loving you, trying to work. No, he pulls you and he separates you as something special as unto him. Even the word for God so loved the world, that word love, agape, it just, we kind of blanket general. It's just God loved the world. The word agape is a discriminative word that says, I choose you to love. And that's all of us. It's very individual. It's very particular. Separated. Judges 13, 12 through 14, it goes on. The, the father now, they receive this, this angel and the, the, the father says, hey, can you, um, angel, come back. Tell us what we should do. And so Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rules of life and his work? Isn't that the most common thing? God begins speaking something to you. A miracle begins happening. Something begins forming in your life. And the next thing we know, what is the system? How do I keep it going? How do I make it happen? How do I bring it to pass? What is the process? What are the seven steps? How do I do this? And it sells a lot of books, but it doesn't answer the question. Because everyone has a unique story, a unique background, a different where, you, a place you're beginning, a place where you're ending. It's all the same, same vision, but it's a different application for every single person. And the angel said, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For all that I can't commanded her, let her observe. In other words, it's the first picture that we see is a covenant is being made with God and someone is just the beneficiary of the covenant, but not the fulfiller of it. Samson became the beneficiary of a covenant separated. She kept the vows. He lived out what he was. That is the same is true with when we're born again. Everything that's been written against you or accused, against, or accused of you has been put on to Jesus. So now when you're accused in the heavenlies, we mess with it in our mind, but technically he's coming and it's on Jesus. He's the one that, he's the only one who could be accused because he's the one who took it. We become the beneficiaries of a covenant. See, I don't even have a covenant with God. 
Jesus has a covenant with God. And now I'm in Jesus. So who's responsible for the covenant? Well, you guys are good. And in this process, the Father will never substitute a system for his relationship with you. Never. Otherwise, you don't need a father, do you? We can have an institution and we can raise people. And how has that worked for us? Side note. Judges 13, 24 through 25. So the woman bore a son, called his name Samson or Sun Man. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. So what did he need? Nothing. He was blessed. The Lord blessed him. Not his natural father. The Lord blessed him. Provided everything of who he was. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manadan between Zorah and Eshtal. This is why this, I, this bugged me for a long time. Not bugged because it was wrong, bugged because I couldn't get it. But I have a, I have a new mind. <laughs> that two cities sit on a hilltop that overlook a valley of the Philistine land. So the Spirit of God took Samson to the hilltop, and he looked down, and I could just imagine maybe a conversation of, this was the promise, all of this. And they've driven you out of the promise. The enemy has taken your promise. All this land is yours. It's yours. Can you see the promise? You're going to deliver the people from them to obtain that promise. This is who you are, Samson. You're set apart to me. So he sees this. I think what's interesting is when we look at deliverance of a lot of the books, we see a battle taking place, and there is a battle. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. But here's what's great. When you know who you are and the mind you are of, you're not wrestling against a force that's greater than you. And actually, once you become so secure, you, lo you no longer become conscious of yourself, that you're not even wrestling on your own behalf. You're seeing what the enemy has done to people, and it causes something to happen. An outflow begins to take place. You know, the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. And Samson is a picture of meekness. I know, he's standing there with the jawbone, blood dripping from his arm as he just got done slaughtering a thousand Philistines. And how is that meek? There's nothing in description that paints Samson as a meek man. So let me tell you what a meek person is. The word for meekness, it actually, when it says the meek shall inherit the earth, it's a military term the Greek used. It's called prow. And it's, I'm just going to read part of this because it's better written. It's not, ex it's not expressed well in English. For the terms meekness, mildness commonly used suggest weakness and cowardice to a greater or less extent. Whereas prow 
does nothing of the kind. It must be clearly understood that meekness manifested by the Lord and commanded to the believer is the fruit of power. It's power under control or gentle power. See, you can't be gentle if you're not strong first. You can't be humble unless there's a place of strength that you're in. So everything he's asking, it's almost more of a stepping down than it is you trying to step up. See, we've been trying to step up to some fruits. First of all, you don't actually cause fruits to grow. They just grow because of what you are. So we're not trying to get them. They're just, they grow from you. But anyway, we try to step into, like it says, put on kindness, as Colossians says. Put on these things. And we've looked at it, I was like, okay, bless God, I'll put on forgiveness. I'll put on, it's like me wearing a coat. It's, it's a struggle. It's hot. It's not what I'm comfortable with. But I love my wife. <laughs> but it, it's not like that. It means to immerse yourself into. It's an outflow. See, when you are strong and confident, you're not intimidated, are you? When you're in a situation and you feel bold and confident, there's no intimidation, there's no weakness, you're actually, you'll find yourself more compassionate and kind to people. But when you're feeling weak and you're in that, how does that feel? You're almost a little bit more tempted to be snippy in your old mind. Right? You're almost... I'm blessed, God, I'm just going to love you. We'll forgive them in Jesus' name. We, we, we operate because we're feeling that brokenness. But when you're strong and full and complete and whole, you can offer mercy. You can offer these things because it's no longer your identity tied to those areas. Your identity is secure. So when the, the Bible says to put on, so let's, let's read that real quick. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put in the sense of sinking into a garment on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See, if we try to put something on or try to be, uh, pursue a mission or try to become something when we are at a weak point that we don't know who we are to our Father, this becomes a burden and it is not sweet and it is not a blessing. And it is warfare in you. So we can look at those things and feel, well, I haven't been kind today. I better put on kindness. No, when you're feeling that way, turn back and as... And if you didn't hear it, get the tape. Let God bring reality of the mind you actually have. Step into, Father, who am I to you? What am I to you? What are your thoughts towards me? Show me your kindness towards me. And all of a sudden, you take time and you start becoming overwhelmed in that. And then all of a sudden, what happens? You start to rise. And then when you turn back to the situation, you want to slip into the coat because when you walk in meekness, now you're palatable to the person that you're with. Now you're influencing. See, the Greeks used to use this regarding um, taking a, a stallion, a wild horse, and they would, they would take it and they would train it with the rider 
and the horse and the, the rider would become sync, that the rider could either ride with a spear or in formation or with a bow and arrow with his hands off the reins and just the gentle nudge of the heel, the horse would maneuver. They became one. Then that horse was called proud, meek. This is what God is. I, I went to horse camp once. I don't want to go to horse camp ever again. I got a trail horse. And it was about as energetic as sitting on an airplane ride for 27 hours, except I didn't have a video screen to watch a movie while I was doing it. It wasn't fun. It wasn't, it wasn't comfortable. The horse had one objective. How close can he stick the nose to the horse in front of his back end? I sat on a castrated horse that had no life and no spirit and no direction and only knew what to do with what was in front of him. My, I can yank the reins. I could do whatever. That's why they put us on when we're kids, because we can't do anything with the horse. But a stallion is something radically different. They're so fearsome. They are... They have a wildness to them. They have to be tempered. You don't break a stallion. You temper the stallion. And you don't take the life out of it. You want the life in it. And it will hoof. It will, and it, it, will, it will snort and blow in the face of battle. And it becomes, as the rider loves the horse and they unite and they work together, they become tandem and you can't separate the horse from the rider and the rider from the horse. That's meekness. But the horse has to put on the rider and allow the gentle nudges so the power of the beast can be directed in the proper direction to have the most effect. And at the same token, the stallion, the rider has to learn the flow and the gait and understand the horse. See, God doesn't just come and say, you need to understand me. He goes into your world and understands you. How do you think he could tell Peter how many fish were in that net? Jesus, we don't know he was ever worked as a fisherman, yet he knew exactly what to do, why he entered Peter's world where he could understand. Apostleship. Samson goes from this world of being who he is. Now he has to step into a new world. And here's the point of this, because I'm not doing this whole story today. That's a whole nother time, but... I want you to catch this. It says that he went down to Timnah, which was the city that is in the valley that was underneath the mountains that he was overlooking. How was God going to go influence and for him to begin delivering a nation? Love. And he said he went down and saw a woman, and it was right for her to be with him. So he got his parents to go arrange the marriage in a time period where Women were cattle and part of a trade for negotiation. Love wasn't a part of that whole process. Yet Samson was breaking the norms and the cultural he loved. And it was out of that love he began discovering the evil of the enemy. Because when she ended up dying, as a result of his riddle, a whole different thing began to happen. A, ve- a righteous vengeance against, not a people, against an enemy, a spiritual force that was behind those people. But God used love 
to draw him into a new world. And he became the son in that world. The same way God had taken me, and we are, well, maybe not in the same way, but a similarity, to go hunting, to develop this relationship out of love because I cared about my friend and I wanted to know what he was like. I stepped into his world just like we go on missions. We're not in love with our call. We're not in love with the mission. At some point, you have to love the people that you're going to. It's individualistic. It could be one person. But God would go. When we first started our ministry, our board, one of our board of directors who is executive with IBM, he said, uh, so what's the big strategy? And I said, well, you know, Jesus went after the woman at the well. He said, so you're going to go do all this for one? Yeah. Changed everything. Changed everything. We stepped into another world that was foreign to us out of the overflow of what we were and we could shake off all of the ways of ministry. All the ways missions is supposed to look like. Every one of you have a mission that is directly tied to your identity as an individual within Jesus Christ that will influence a circle of people that I could never touch or no one else can do. And it has to do with things you love and enjoy. But there has to be a love for the person. But you can't just all of a sudden love people until... You let the grace of God do its work. That's why it's so critical to keep being reminded of who you are, who you are, who you are. That's the outflow of missions. But I will tell you what, you have something so great. You are the son. You are the sun men, the sun women in the world that you are because you're the reflection of righteousness in the place God plants you. And you have everything that you need to fully fulfill that place. And as you begin growing in him beyond and you, who you are expands beyond your circle of influence, there is more and more and more. You're the answer to the world around you. I'm going to leave you with these three points. So first of all, just a quick recap so I can make sure the circles are spinning. Samson is the type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Because when he came in to deliver and bring vengeance on the enemy, he did it by loving a people that was not his own. And whenever he had compassion on a person, that word compassion has a two-sided coin, and it's a violent anger and a deep love. So when he saw the leper and it says he had compassion on him, he had such a love for the leper and such a hatred towards what was holding him back, he acted and stepped into the middle of it. See, without the strength, you don't have the kindness. Otherwise, your kindness will be more to appease and get the pleasure and the approval of man versus the pleasure and approval of God. If you're just strong and abrasive, well, bless God, I'll just tell you the truth. Well, it's not helpful. 
Because now you're alienating people. There's not a love in that. It's, it's true, but there, it's not going to get to the, that place. But in the spirit of meekness, which is the blending of those two bodies of absolute strength and absolute surrender at the same point, Lives are changed, you're fulfilled, and your identity starts coming out in a way that you never even knew. Whether it's in your business, whether it's in your shop, whether it's at the grocery store, wherever it is, you're in a mission. The moment you're out of a comfort zone, you're on a mission. So the question is, God, what am I supposed to do? The question is, God, who are you to me today, and how can that overflow around me? And you live life in a way that becomes strategic, purposeful, and meaningful. And then he would begin going to a mountaintop and you begin seeing something beyond. Now there's an eagerness, how do we go there? How do we go there? You've done this for me when we were playing. How about we go there? And all of a sudden you expand and this, the net goes and the influence goes and the scattering goes and lives are changed. Because you are the sun to someone's darkness. Oh, but Jesus does it. You know, when Jesus met Paul, or Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was not Jesus that gave Paul the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He got sent to a man who was afraid to talk to him because he had killed people. So God had to work in his heart to become comfortable to step into this arena that would change the world. When we, so, when we see that Cornelius, the centurion, is praying for some, to a god, and the angel visits him and says, your prayers have been heard. Go send for Peter. God had to change Peter's world view in order to step into this person's world in order for change to begin to happen. God always uses people. You're never off the board. You can't say, well, we'll just pray God will do something. And if it's you, you don't walk in the stress. I got to go do something. I got, bless God, we got to go do something. And then there's the type A personalities. They're, they're just, they're just going to go do something. <laughs> and nothing gets done. This is a flow. It's grace and apostleship. It's, Father, I know you want me to do something, but I don't have the confidence to step out there. Who are you to me? Can you help me navigate it where I can be the most? You know what I am right now. Can you put it into a place that I can flow the most and grow in this. He cares just as much about who you are in that situation as he does about that other person. So my challenge to you this morning is everything that you've been poured into, everything that has been coming in and who you are and that, that identity, allow yourself to the high places. And allow yourself to be positioned to look. And allow yourself the permission to look beyond and let the voice say, what do you want? Because Samson did what God wanted him to do by answering what Samson wanted. He wanted a wife. And he delivered a nation. I'm not recommending you have to follow the same pattern exactly. I'm trying to get you to catch the spirit of this. There's godly things in your heart that you're wanting. And God is changing your confidence. But you're going to have to have the permission to stand and look beyond and 
don't think about yourself because when meekness begins taking over, the actual word leads to the point, no more consciousness of self. What would you do then? Amen? Amen.